You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football today. Oh, we are in the final stretch run of the 2017 college football season. Two days left. Rockin' Rich Sermonello, before we know who will be playing for the national championship, games ratcheted up a notch, intensity increased yesterday, and great slate of action today. Yeah, I mean, we saw some fantastic games. Belk Bowl, Texas A&M, Wake Forest, offensive showcase. Uh, uh, Northwestern versus Kentucky was interesting to the end. Little disappointed in the Cotton Bowl last night. I expected to see more offensive firepower, more from Sam Darnold. Ohio State jumped out to an early lead. Joe never let up in a 24-7 victory impressed by Ohio State the fact that they were able to maintain their focus this was the fifth seeded team a team that probably thought with a Big Ten title that it would have been in the college football playoff I thought they played well good job by Urban Meyer disappointment by the Pac-12 how about the Pac-12 now one and seven in the first eight bowl games yeah they're going to need to step up today Washington does play Penn State at 4 p.m. in the Fiesta Bowl we'll see how that game plays out sit back relax for the next three hours Rich and I will take you through the games today leading up to the college football playoff on Monday nine straight bowl games at 1024 Eastern we'll be joined by former Marshall running back Doug Chapman we'll talk to Doug about both semifinal playoff games Georgia Oklahoma Alabama Clemson at 1124 and Eastern will be joined by uh, Ole Miss offensive coordinator Phil Longo. Phil played and Ole Miss played Alabama in Tuscaloosa and lost that ball game 66-3, but will get his take on what it takes from an offensive perspective to beat the Crimson Tide defense. And then, of course, at 10-39, 11-39 Eastern, we'll be joined by Game Time Decisions host Gabe Morenci. Get Gabe's best picks for today and the college football playoff. Rich, you mentioned the uh, Cotton Bowl last night. Dominating win by Urban Meyer and the crew eight total sacks on Sam Darnold. He did pass for 356 passing yards in that ballgame, but JT Barrett, who threw for only 114 yards through the air, did pass Drew Brees, but the more important factor was the defensive front by uh, Nick Bosa and the crew sacking Sam Darnold last night eight times consistently under pressure. Listen, if you control the line of scrimmage, and this will dovetail nicely into the Sugar Bowl and the Rose Bowl, if you can win the line of scrimmage, you're going to win a lot of football games. Ohio State all season long has had that dominant front. You know, we talked about one Sam and Sam Darnold. The Sam that impressed me the most last night in the Cotton Bowl was Sam Hubbard of Ohio State. And he's not even the Buckeye defensive lineman that gets the most pub. Three and a half tackles for loss, two and a half sacks, just another example of a big, physical, athletic Ohio State defensive lineman. So great job by that defense and Greg Schiano, who uh, obviously at this point had hoped he'd be in Knoxville. Yeah, right. I mean, interesting uh, turnabout in Knoxville with Jeremy Pruitt being the head coach. But you look at Sam Darnold's performance. He did throw for 356, but proved he might not be a first-round draft pick. When we come back, Rich and I I will be diving in to the college football semifinal playoff games. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Network Studio 34.
Playing daily fantasy basketball this year? Consider Daily Roto your go-to resource. Whether you play on DraftKings or FanDuel, Daily Roto's customizable projections, podcasts, strategy guides, and lineup optimizer will help you compete with the pros in a fraction of the time. With a team featuring millionaire maker winners and live final champions, there's no better place to get your NBA DFS content. Better yet, you can save 10% using the promo code FNTSY. So go to dailyroto.com slash premium and learn more about our awesome product. Roaring into the college football playoff, 5 p.m. It kicks off on Monday, January 1st. Going to turn our attention to number four, Alabama, number one, Clemson, round number three. Both teams have split over the last couple of years, national champions. Clemson did pick up the 35-31 to 31 win last year in dramatic fashion in Tampa. Rich, I think it continues in this ballgame against Nick Saban and the crew. I'm not sold on the defense of the Alabama Crimson Tide, and I think Clemson dominates this matchup 38-24 to 24 Monday night. Uh, there's no way they're scoring 38 points. I'm telling I, I, you. I don't see it happening. I, I'll tell you, Clemson's offense this year has been a concern of mine. I, I, I mean, Kelly Bryan is a nice quarterback. I think we'll see better production from him in 2018. But right now, he's still feeling his way through. Where are the great playmakers for Clemson? There's no Mike Williams like there was last year. No Wayne Gallman, who I know you were a big fan of out of the backfield last year. So Clemson's offense against that Alabama defense is a concern of mine, Joe, because Alabama now has had time to prepare. They've had time to get healthy. Health was an issue towards the end of the regular season. I agree with you. I think this is Clemson's game to lose, and I think Clemson will win in the Sugar Bowl. But I think this is a very close matchup, low scoring. I think it comes down to the final couple of possessions. I've had a hard time differentiating between these two teams. Alabama's defense, not vintage Alabama, and I do have concerns about Jalen Hurts on offense. Can he convert on third down? Those are my concerns. But right now, Clemson needs to show more offensively before I could say they can get into the 30s. Well, here's what I look at when I look at this matchup. Now, both games, national championships have been high scoring two years ago. Alabama won 45 to 40 last year, 35 to 31. That was with uh, Deshaun Watson at the helm. Now, Kelly Bryant having a stellar season. He's still completing 67% of his passes, 13 touchdowns, six interceptions. This is a Clemson offense that's averaging 204 rushing yards per game, still averaging 244 passing yards through through the air, and as an offense, Rich, they're converting 44% of their third down conversions. Now, when you look at this Alabama defense overall, they're giving up only 92 rushing yards per game, but over the last three games of 2017, they gave up 149 rushing yards to opposing offenses. I know they were banged up, but defensively, not the same unit that we saw last year, 54 total sacks, only 31 as a defensive unit, and they have the personnel. Now, Hunter Renfro, Ray Ray McLeod, Deion Kane, those playmakers still have the athleticism to stretch that Alabama defense vertically, and that's why I like the Clemson offense here. Well, I listen, you touched on one number which needs to be echoed, which is third down conversions. That has been a problem for Alabama with Jalen Hurts behind center. They are 50th 
nationally and converting on third down. That has to change. Clemson, on the other hand, you touched on the number. They are eighth nationally. That's another reason why I like Clemson in this game. But, you know, look at the Alabama offense. Did they get maximum production out of those running backs? They're going to need to against that Clemson defensive front. That defensive line of Clemson, we talked about the Cotton Bowl last night and what Ohio State was able to do with Nick Bosa and Sam Hubbard. Look at that Ohio State defensive line. Clemson is a step better. When you look at Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins, Austin Bryant, Cleveland Farrell, these are all future high NFL draft choices. So they can potentially control the line of scrimmage. And if you could slow down those backs of Alabama, Damian Harris, Bo Scarborough, Najee Harris, does Jalen Hurts have what it takes to complete passes on third and seven, third and eight? And I'll bring up another factor. Clemson secondary, not vintage Clemson secondary. Ryan Carter did a good job at corner, but this is a beatable defensive backfield in my opinion. But when you look at the Alabama passing game, not only is Hurts a little bit iffy, particularly on third downs, but beyond Calvin Ridley, who is going to make plays in the passing game? Last year, you had O.J. Howard at tight end, right? You, you had Darius Stort at wide receiver. Now it's Ridley who Ryan Carter and the rest of that Clemson secondary can focus on and then someone is going to have to step up. You're going to need a young receiver like Jerry Judy to right. do it on this kind of a stage, and I don't think it happens. So I think I think Alabama has struggled, uh, has a hard time scoring. I think Clemson does as well. I think this game, unlike the last two, I think it gets right. played in the 20s. Yeah, that's a great point. I was going there as well. Last year, they also had Bowling Green wide receiver Garrett Dieter. Yep. That was a 1,000-yard receiver in 2015. Really took a lot of pressure off of Calvin Ridley and O.J. Howard in the passing game. So didn't catch a lot of balls last year, but was able to make those type of possession reset. Yeah, yeah, especially working over the middle hitches and dig routes. That's where Garrett Dieter excelled in, uh, on special teams as well. I'll say this about Alabama's offense as well. Over the first seven games of the year, this was a dominant rushing attack. They averaged 302 rushing yards per game, 24 total touchdowns during that span. That was right around three and a half touchdowns on the ground per game. In the last five games of the year, they only averaged 213 rushing yards per game, 12 rushing touchdowns. That was one touchdown less per game that put Jalen Hurts into long third down situations. Last year in the championship game, he only converted two of 15 third downs. That's why they didn't pick up that victory last year in critical situations. Now, when you look at Clemson's defense overall, they can run sideline to sideline, third down defense holding opposing offenses to 27% on third down conversions, only giving up 165 passing yards per game, 44 total sacks, Rich, and I'll bring up this point as well. They're used to playing mobile quarterbacks. They played four this year. Lamar Jackson, Josh Jackson, Taquan Marshall from Georgia Tech, and you can even throw in Malik Rogier. They're 4-0 in those games and won those games by 22.2 points per game. When you look at the flip side with Alabama, they played Kellen Mond from Texas A&M and Nick Fitzgerald. They won those games by 7.5 points per game. To me, I think Clemson has better personnel, and that's why I'm picking the Tigers in this ballgame. Love the Clemson front seven. Uh, like the Alabama front seven. I'm curious to see what those linebackers, Joe, are going to look like at Alabama. That was the one key position area that got hit by injuries, hit by attrition. Now, Sean Dion Hamilton will not play. Right. Dylan Moses, their true freshman sensation who was looking good at the end of the year, will not play. So they're still dealing with injuries at linebacker. But I look at that front seven of Clemson. 
just as dominant as there is in the country. I talked about the defensive linemen, but how about someone like Dorian O'Daniel, right. uh, Trey Lamar at linebacker, those guys. Those are the sideline-to-sideline guys that you talked about. I, I do have worries about the Clemson uh, secondary. Not the case with Alabama. And to me, the fascinating storyline is going to be Kelly Bryant. I think he has a tremendous potential. I think this is a kid who could be competing for national honors in 2018. But now he goes up against Minka Fitzpatrick, who also was not healthy at the end of the year, has had those five weeks off, a secondary that leads the entire country in touchdown passes allowed. Alabama in 12 games has allowed just seven touchdown passes. So can Kelly Bryant take advantage? Can he make plays on that secondary? Can he hit not just dump offs, not just those short slants? Can he actually hit intermediate routes? Some long balls to Deion Kane, Ray Ray McLeod, who you mentioned, Hunter Renfro, who always steps up in these kind of big games. Can he exploit a secondary that has allowed seven touchdown passes and has 15 picks? It's not just Minka. It's Ronnie Harrison. It's Levi Wallace. It's a very complete physical secondary that Kelly Bryant goes up against. So he's going to have to use his, his feet. He's going to have to use his arm. He's going to have to find a way to solve that Alabama defense because i got to tell you, I think they're going to come in with a chip on their shoulder. Sure. Yeah, they, they might be favored in Las Vegas. I think they're about a three-point favorite. But, you know, they're the number four seed. They're the team that some people question whether or not they took the back door, didn't win their conference title, didn't win the SEC West. So I think Alabama comes with a, with a chip on his shoulder. I think it's going to be a magnificent game. And one more storyline. You know, you're going to win an opportunity to play for a national championship in Atlanta on January the 8th. But I think the winner of this game between Clemson and Alabama now is the king of college football. Because after these two programs have split the last two national championships, I think the winner of this game now steps forward, particularly if they can uh, they could finish by winning the national championship. I think that team becomes the king of college football yeah, in 2017. I agree with you. Now, turnovers can be a key component to whoever picks up the victory. You look at Alabama, plus 12 in turnover margin. Clemson enters this ballgame with plus five in turnover margin. And you have to give the quarterback experience. Jalen Hurts as a starting quarterback, 25 and two overall. He played last year in this type of setting, so he's used to big game experience. Kelly Bryant, even though he's played well this year, this is by far the biggest game in terms of uh, implications on the line that he'll have to face. How does he handle that? I will say this about the personnel as well. You, You look at ETN, you look at Feaster, Fuller, those running backs for Clemson are not just in the running attack, but in the short to intermediate passing game, on screen passes, how they're utilized on nickelbacks and linebackers in this ballgame could take the pressure off of Kelly Bryant early on. I think it's very important for Clemson to start fast and put the pressure on Jalen Hurts to match them score for score, and more importantly, allow that defensive front to pin back its ears and get after Jalen Hurts. And that'll be the that'll be the area that anyone really needs to watch, especially if you're an NFL fan, if you're looking at the NFL draft. Clemson's defensive line just littered, again, with next-level players. Joe, I, I think this is close throughout. I think it's a physical war, and that's something to think about, too, for the, for the winner. Sure. Whoever comes out of this game, I think they could be bruised and battered heading into that national yeah. championship game. Yeah, we'll see. Rich likes uh, likes Clemson. So do I. He thinks low scoring. I think it's up there. 38-24. When we come back, we'll be talking Georgia-Oklahoma. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonella live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Studio 34.
Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fantasy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there, where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day. College football today, Joe Weesey, Rich Sermonello, talking college football playoff. We talked Alabama, Clemson. We'll turn our attention to Georgia, Oklahoma, one of the most intriguing bowl matchups that we'll see. We have a contrast in styles, a methodical pro-style offense in the Bulldogs, led by their freshman quarterback, Jake Fromm, going up against Baker Mayfield, Heisman Trophy winner, and the Sooners offense that will look to up-tempo the Georgia Bulldog defense, get them into a high-scoring game. But I love the offensive line of Georgia, and not only the offensive line, Rich, but the defensive front seven of Kirby Smart's crew. I think they dominate this matchup as well. I think they get a 13-point win over the Sooners in this ballgame. I hope you're wrong. <laughs> I, I really do, because I just the fan in me, I can't wait for this game. Me too. From, from the moment it was announced, I think the only way it would have been more compelling if this was Oklahoma and Baker Mayfield against Alabama. I mean, I think that would have been even better theater. But Georgia is sort of, you know, kind of a poor man's old Alabama with Kirby Smart as the head coach. And I love the study in contrast. You have that high-powered, wide-open offense led by Baker Mayfield and the swagger that he'll be bringing to Pasadena. They're averaging 45 points a game. Tremendous balance. This is not just a wide-open attack. As you know, they could throw the ball. He is the best deep ball passer in college football, but I really like the running back in Rodney Anderson. Reminds me of a younger Joe Mixon in that he can work between the tackles. He can go the distance, has size, has speed has hands in the passing game. But on the other side of the ball, I just can't get beyond the fact that of of the four teams in the college football playoff, by far the worst unit is the Oklahoma defense. And they have concerned me all year long. They have one really good pass rusher in Oba Okoronkwo. He'll be a concern off the edge. But otherwise, this is a pedestrian defense. And I think the best D for Georgia is simply going to be to run the ball with Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, DeAndre Swift, the third stringer, the rookie. I think they can control the clock. They could work the soft areas of that Oklahoma defense. That is going to be the downfall of the Sooners, but I will say Baker brings an it factor that no one else has in college football. If they get off to a fast start, and they're going to have to, and they force Georgia to get out of their old persona, have to throw the ball a little bit more, look out. That could be a very good game in the second half. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you're talking about 
got an Oklahoma offense that's averaging 215 rushing yards per game. They're passing for 367 through the air with Mayfield that has completed 71% of his passes, 4,340 yards, 41 touchdown passes. You touched down Rodney Anderson, but how about tight end Mark Andrews that does have 906 receiving yards, eight receiving touchdowns, how he could be utilized in slot formations. Again, on nickelbacks and linebackers created a lot of mismatch problems early on against that Ohio State defense in the horseshoe. We'll see how that matchup plays out. Now, when you look at the flip side of Georgia, you mentioned those running backs. This is an offense in Georgia that's averaging 262 rushing yards per game. They're chucking it through the air for about 170 yards through uh, the air with uh, Jake Fromm. But over the last three games of 2017, Rich, this uh, Georgia offense rushed for 288 yards on the ground, nine rushing touchdowns, and they got those backs involved in the short to intermediate passing game, especially in the SEC championship game, and I think that's the recipe you look to see for Georgia. If they can get an eight, nine minute drive to start the game, not so much score a touchdown, but put points on the board against Baker Mayfield and keep him on the sidelines for extended periods of time, the way they did Jared Stidham, that's the recipe for Georgia to win this matchup. Yeah, that that is the recipe. And what I find interesting, what was the number passing offense, like 170? 170. 170 is last in the SEC right. in passing. But it doesn't make a darn bit of difference because they might be last in the SEC in passing yards per game. But I don't like to look at raw numbers. When I evaluate teams, I like to look at the efficiencies. Georgia might be last in the SEC in passing yards, but they're near the top of the conference and near the top of the country in passing efficiency. And what that tells me is that Jake Fromm, true freshman quarterback, you remember this was not his job until Jacob Eason was hurt back in September. He has taken over, done a great job, really has played like a veteran. The difference for me is this kid has fit in seamlessly in this offense. Yeah, he's not going to throw for a ton of yards, but guess what? He doesn't have to throw for a ton of yards because they run the ball. Where he has been effective is been on play action, and I think that's where he could really hurt that Oklahoma secondary. Javon Wims, Terry Godwin, they've done nice jobs on the outside. Possibly Isaac Nauta, the tight end, could work the seam routes, could work the intermediate routes, but Jake Fromm, you talk about the recipe, you're spot on, Joe. The recipe is going to be run, 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 mix in some play action to catch Oklahoma off guard. Oklahoma just doesn't have the defensive talent. Now, I think this is going to be a high-scoring game. I don't think they're stopping Baker Mayfield. I really don't. I mean, because Baker and Oklahoma, they proved it in Columbus. You talked about that win at Ohio State. That is an elite talented Ohio State team that Oklahoma beat on the road. So I think they can beat Georgia, but I think they're going to get dragged into a shootout and Georgia is just going to run this team to death. I think I think Oklahoma defensively is going to be gassed in the second half. Baker Mayfield put in a position to have to come back is going to throw a couple of critical picks. I think we underestimate just how good that Georgia secondary is. Not a lot of front-line household names like the front seven does, but they've been outstanding in the secondary. Again, the running game of Georgia, that defense, that sideline 
the sideline speed of Lorenzo Carter, David Bellamy, and how about Roquan? Talk about yeah. Roquan Smith and just how he, how good he is on the Georgia defense. Yeah, and, and, and the SEC championship game proved to me the recipe to beat Oklahoma because they got into that type of ball game with Jared Stidham, forced him into third down and long situations, brought pressure from the edge, and forced Jared Stidham into short to intermediate throws underneath coverage. Now, this is a Georgia defense that's given up 112 rushing yards per game. They're only giving up 156 passing yards to opposing offenses. Now, yes, the only offense that you can compare Oklahoma to is that they faced is Missouri earlier in the year with Drew Locke, and they played, gave up a lot of points, but they dominated that matchup as well from an offensive perspective. But this is still a Georgia defense that held 7 of 13 opponents, Rich, to 50% or less completion percentage. So they can play man-to-man coverage, and when you give the coaching advantage, I think you have to give it to Kirby Smart here as a second-year head coach going up against Lincoln Riley. I mean, Kirby Smart, big game defensive coordinator under Nick Saban, played in national championship games, had to defend guys like Deshaun Watson in, in the title game in that Clemson defense two years ago. He's used to this type of setting, so I feel very confident that that defense will be prepared going up against Baker Mayfield and force them to methodically work down the field. Now, when you look at the flip side as well, for Oklahoma, they're giving up 144 rushing yards to opposing offenses. But I'll go back to that game against West Virginia. They dominated that matchup. West Virginia utilized the Wildcat and was able to rush for 251 yards on that Sooners defense. Sony Michelle has used the Wildcat throughout the season in red zone opportunities. And when you have four backs that you could put in there at any given time, you're going to have fresh legs and you're going to wear down that front seven of Oklahoma. That's the matchup. But that's why I like Georgia here. And it's an average front seven. I mean, this is not uh, the offensive championship caliber. Right. There's no question about it. Uh, the defenses of Georgia, Clemson, Alabama, all championship caliber, I still believe in an old-school mentality that if you want to win championships, you have to be able to play some semblance of defense. And I know the last couple of championship games have been high-scoring, but the defensive talent has been off the charts. I look at Oklahoma, other than Oboe off the edge, who is the guy that you look at and say, I, I can see this guy playing on Sundays? No, I really don't see them. I mean, they're a young unit. They're relatively inexperienced. They're beatable over the top. Now, having said that, what I find so interesting about this matchup and why I can't wait to sit down and watch all 60 minutes is that offense of Oklahoma is the wild card. Right. I mean, they don't just lead the country in a number of categories. They are at a historical level of big playability. I mean, they're averaging over 12 yards a pass attempt, by far and away leading the country, 8.4 yards per play. I went back a decade, did not find an offense that is putting right. up that level of production. So the C.D. Lambs, the Marquise Browns on the outside, Rodney Anderson, the depth. They also have depth at running back, too. Right. Trey Sermon, sure. Abdul Adams. So I think if Oklahoma, if they kind of catch a little bit of lightning in a bottle early, sure. and Baker starts getting wound up, and he's fired up running around the field pointing at Georgia, it would not shock me. I think the smart money's on Georgia. I think Georgia's the better all-around football team. 
But Oklahoma's got something special offensively. If right. they get kick-started early, it's going to be a fascinating game in Pasadena. We might have seen a prelude to this game the other night with Stanford and TCU. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you have a Big 12 offense led by Kenny Hill and Stanford that got the two-point, uh, led by TCU that got the victory over Stanford and Bryce Love, 38-36. to And I brought it up in that breakdown, and I'll bring it up here. When you look at Oklahoma's defense overall, playing in the Big 12, the five-wide, uh, up-tempo attack, they're not used to seeing a lot of tight ends. You brought up Nada, you bring up uh, Jeb Blazevich in this ballgame. How they're utilized going up against Oklahoma's defense could be critical to take the pressure off of Jake Fromm and that that offense, especially in play action. So, when you look at Fromm overall, I mean, he does have over 2,100 passing yards, 21 passing touchdowns on the year, only five interceptions. And when you look at Georgia, 6-1 on the road or on a neutral field site this year. You look at Oklahoma, 7 to know on the road or on a, on a neutral field site. So, I mean, these are battle-tested teams, and it is a contrast in styles. And we've seen a prelude, like I said, in the Alamo Bowl. That was a, a, a wild one that TCU did get the victory. No, it's, a, it's a great comparison. I, I hope that this game is half as entertaining as that one was between uh, TCU and Stanford. We'll see how it plays out. It is 5 p.m. on Monday night when Rich and I return. We'll be talking about the games Louisville and Mississippi State. Auburn, UCF. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network Studio 34. If you're playing daily fantasy basketball on DraftKings or FanDuel this NBA season, you need to sign up for Daily Roto. Built by a team featuring millionaire maker winners and live final champions, Daily Roto's customizable projections, podcasts, strategy guides, and lineup optimizer will help you compete with the pros in a fraction of the time. Better yet, you can save 10% off using the promo code FNTSY. So go to dailyroto.com backslash premium to learn more about their product. UCF and Scott Frost in just two years went from 0-12 to 12-0. They get to face SEC opponent Auburn. Very intriguing matchup, Rich. Which Auburn team will show up? Jared Stidham and the crew had their sights set on a college football playoff appearance. Lost that matchup to Georgia in the SEC championship game 28-7. Scott Frost named new head coach in Nebraska, but he's coaching in this ballgame. Looking to take the team to 13-0, but something tells me Auburn dominates this matchup by 14 or more on January 1st. This is a microcosm of the mystery of the postseason because I don't know if Auburn wants to be here. I know UCF does. But but the side story you touched on is their head coach, their instrumental head coach, their leader, has one foot in Orlando, has one foot in Lincoln, Nebraska, where he'll be coaching next year. I mean, there's so many factors that are hard to really delineate between here. UCF, I know, wants to be in this game. If Auburn shows up, I I think they just have too much physicality at the line of scrimmage, offensive line, defensive line, dominant throughout the season. I think they could shove around UCF. Keep in mind, 
you know, the Knights starting left tackle, Aaron Evans, not available. He's injured. He's out in this game. So Jeff Holland, the speed rusher for Auburn, could have a clear path to Mackenzie Milton. But we've seen this before. We've seen it a lot before. We saw it out of UCF a few years ago with Blake Bortles beating Baylor. You bring in a motivated group of five team with something to prove on a grand stage facing an SEC team. I wouldn't put it past UCF to putting uh, for putting forth their best effort of the season. They haven't had this opportunity before. They had the what one Power Five opponent in Maryland, right. which they blew out. So you know Maryland is a second-rate Big Ten team. So this is a show-me opportunity for UCF, an opportunity to be the only undefeated team in 2017-2018. So I think they'll be amped up. I love Mackenzie Milton. I think this kid could play against any defense, but at the line of scrimmage, that's where I have a concern. I'm going to gamble on the fact, two things. One, Carrion Johnson is certainly healthier than he was in the SEC title game when he was basically playing with one healthy wing and was not himself at all. And I'll bank on the fact that Gus Malzahn can get these kids motivated after missing out on that playoff opportunity. If that happens, I think Auburn rolls. But if Auburn decides not to show up, all bets are off. Yeah, I agree. And now a couple of factors. You brought up Mackenzie Milton, solid quarterback, completing 67% of his passes, over 3,700 passing yards, 35 touchdowns on the year. This is a UCF offense that is averaging over 200 rushing yards per game, also averaging over 300 rushing yards per game. So if they get started fast and early on, could be a long day for Auburn to match them score for score. Now on the flip side, of Auburn. You mentioned that offensive line. This is an Auburn offense that's averaging around 228 rushing yards per game. They're also passing for right in the area of 225 through the air with their quarterback, Jared Stidham. He's completed around 65% of his passes, over 2,700 passing yards, 17 passing touchdowns in 2017. But this is an Auburn team that has dominated the competition every time they're able to rush for over 200 yards in 2017. They are 8 no, Rich, every time Auburn rushed for over 200 and dominated those games by 28.6 points per game, I think they wear down UCF at the point of attack. This is a UCF defense giving up 165 rushing yards to opposing offenses. But as the season progressed, especially against Memphis, they gave up a lot of yards in the running game. And as we know, this is a heavy offensive line that really can wear them down as this game progresses. It's a great point. If you look at the last two games defensively UCF struggled not just Memphis but against South Florida right. they were dragged into a couple of shootouts if, if Auburn is motivated they should be able to grind out uh, yards between the, the between the tackles Cam Petway will right. not be available unfortunately for Auburn you know one name I want to throw out for for those in our audience who you know kind of come out of the woodwork now to watch right. college football Shaquem Griffin from UCF linebacker uh, All-American candidate, uh, all AAC, uh, a, a kid who was born with a birth defect and at the age of four had to have his left hand amputated. So he plays football with one hand and he plays it exceptionally well. So if you're looking for a storyline beyond just the matchups, Shaquem Griffin, the uh, the UCF linebacker, is just a phenomenal story and a phenomenal football player. If UCF wins this ball game, they're going to have to force turnovers. They're one of the tops in the country in terms of turnover margin. They enter this battle plus 15 in turnover margin. On the flip side, for Auburn, enter 
futures this ball game at plus one. Now, you mentioned the motivation factor. Let's look back to last year's bowl game against Oklahoma. Auburn did not play well, got blown out by Baker Mayfield. So I think this is a critical matchup for Auburn, taking this into a momentum for 2018. I mean, Gus Malzahn was on the hot seat, so to speak, at the start of the year. Jared Stidham came from Baylor, first year under center. There's a lot of optimism. Can they carry the momentum through to spring ball in March and April? We'll have to see. Now, when you look at uh, Auburn's defense overall, Jeff Holland is a name that you might see not only uh, this coming Monday, but on Sundays as well. He's a gamer, especially at the point of attack, has great hands. This is an Auburn Tiger defense as well, Rich, that matches up very well in the secondary, only giving up 177 passing yards per game. They do have 36 total sacks and are holding opposing quarterbacks to 34% on third down conversions. If they force Mackenzie Milton into long third down situations, Holland in that front seven could get quarterback pressures and this could be a long day for that uh, UCF offensive line. And and again, not to belabor the point, but one of their best offensive linemen left tackle, Aaron Mm -hmm. Evans, is not going to play. I like the secondary of Auburn because they're not just good in coverage. They're big and physical. They could take those receivers out of the play. And one final comment, Adrian Killens, the running back from UCF, made it a point of saying, you know, SEC speed, I haven't really seen it. We have the speed here at UCF. That's bulletin board material, not a smart move. I wonder if that's something that Auburn's thinking about at kickoff. Yeah, I'll just say this. I think it's high scoring. I'm, I'm giving a score 45-31, Tigers winning this ballgame. That's a fair point. I, I have Auburn covering, but again, watch the early part of this game. If Auburn is sluggish, if they look unfocused, UCF could take advantage. Yeah, very intriguing. Fiesta Bowl, 4 p.m. today. It's Penn State and James Franklin. Saquon Barkley, Trace McSorley taking on Chris Peterson and Jake Browning. Rich, I'll say this. Great call on Michigan State in that ball game, the Holiday Bowl over Washington State. This is my best bowl pick all season long. I love the Huskies in this ball game. I think they dominate from start to finish. It's not just the offense by Jake Browning. The defense up front that is plus 11 in turnover margin does have 38 total sacks and holding a Opposing offenses to 34% on third down conversions, only giving up 92 rushing yards per game. I think they make Penn State's offense one dimensional and they win this ballgame by double digits. Yeah, I, I like Penn State, but I, I'd be lying if I said that I love Penn State in mm-hmm. this game. I mean, I, I, I like the Nittany Lions because of the potential balance on offense with Saquon out of the backfield, Trace McSorley throwing to Jawan Johnson, Mike Gasicki, their tight end. Washington just I get your point, and I think it's really good logic because you look at that defensive line. You know, Washington is the one Pac-12 team that plays football like an SEC or Big Ten team. They're physical, they're big, they're quick at the line of scrimmage. Vita Vea is a dancing bear. He does things at 340-plus pounds that someone that size really should not be doing. He reminds me of Danny Shelton, who also played in Seattle a couple of years ago for for the Huskies. That could be an issue because Penn State continues to underachieve at the point of attack and that, that's a big reason why Saquon Barkley didn't win a Heisman Trophy is because he was not getting the, the blocking he wasn't getting the protection that he needed same thing with Trace McSorley now if Penn State cannot control that line of scrimmage if they have problem with the front seven of Washington with a lot of teams do th- this could be a long fiesta bowl for Penn State but I have faith in James Franklin I have faith in Saquon who was outspoken and saying 
I could have sat out this game. I could have protected myself in advance of the NFL draft, but I'm going to play. I think he plays with motivation, both as a receiver, as a running back, and on special teams. I love the matchup because these are two very talented football teams. I think it'll be close. I think it'll be high scoring. At the end of the day, I think Penn State wins. Penn State also has a quality defense that was playing better at the end of the season. And one thing I'd like to point out is, you know, Washington has Dante Pettis. Love him, Mm -hmm. right? Miles Gaskin, love him out of the backfield, but but Jake Browning, something was missing this year. Jake Browning, his production went way down, 43 touchdown passes a year ago, just 18 this season. So I'm worried about that Washington passing game against the Penn State secondary. Great point. You know what's missing? John Ross. That yep. took the top yep. off the defense last year, and a lot of people didn't recognize what his speed was able to do. It allowed Dante Pettis to work off the middle. Now, without Ross's speed on the outside, teams can double-team Dante Pettis and really make that offense one-dimensional. But here's what I look at. Both offensive coordinators are gone for this game. I think it affects Penn State more in this matchup. Joe mm-hmm. Moorhead named the head coach of Mississippi State. I still give the edge to Washington in terms of quarterback play. Jake Browning, 18 touchdowns this year, but he is completing 68% of his passes. Miles Gaskin, over 1,200 rushing yards, led the Pac-12, 19 rushing touchdowns. And I'll say this about the defense of Washington. They have the speed to run sideline to sideline and when you look at the weakness of Penn State overall, that offensive line has allowed 28 sacks as an offensive unit. I think they could force Trace McSorley into long third down situations, coupled with the fact of, we saw it last year, Penn State had a chip on its shoulder when they played in the Rose Bowl against USC. Not the same scenario this year when you look at Washington overall, after making the college football playoff a very disappointing year at 10-2, and two, did not play well against Stanford, did not play well against Oregon. I think they're focused with an opportunity to dominate this matchup against a Big Ten opponent, and that's why I love Chris Peterson's crew. At 1-7, and seven, I cannot bet on a Pac-12 <laughs> team right now. I, I, I think that script has been written this postseason. Pac-12 is struggling, and Big Ten has not lost a game yet. So give Great me the Big point. Ten. Yeah. I love Washington. That is my best bowl selection of the 2017 season. When we come back, best pick time. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Studio 34. Have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand? Or better yet, in the pocket of your khakis? Well, check it out. Now you can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Download it now to your phone. We promise no weird viruses, no strange tracking things. Just 24 hours a day, seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go. First hour almost in the books. Rich has been on fire with his bowl selections. I was trying to jinx you right now. I've been miserable. I'm as cold as ice. I'm as cold as my feet in the studio right now. But I'm turning. Cool. I'm turning it around today, Rich. I, I feel very good. Yeah. I feel very good about these selections. Let's jump right into it. Couple games we haven't touched on. It's Memphis. It's Iowa State. A little bit later today, we're gonna get into it in next hour. But I am all over Matt Campbell, Kyle Kempf, Zeb Nolan, Joe Lanning. I think they get the upset win in the Jack Liberty Trice. Bowl. How many Iowa State uh, guys are you gonna name? Well, all of a sudden. 
Give me we your favorite David, Iowa State guy. Back in the day, Troy Davis I liked. Oh, I love Troy Seneca Davis. Seneca Wallace? Yeah. Seneca. I love Seneca Wallace. Se- yeah, too. ex-Seattle I quarterback. I can't stump you, can I? <laughs> I just can't stump you. <laughs> well, anyway, they face Riley Ferguson. I mean, a solid year this yeah. year in Memphis. Both losses did come to UCF, but they're playing at home. Five-wide type of offense. They have Miller, the wide receiver, that'll look to take the top off of Iowa State's defense. But I think this is a blue-collar team, and I think they get a high-scoring game. I could see a, a four- or five-point win, 34-30, to 35-30 over Memphis in this ballgame. I, I, it might even be higher. This might get into the 40s. I agree. It's one of my best picks of the day. I, I think Iowa State is just a more complete football team. They can play defense. Memphis struggling badly defensively. I think Iowa State can win a shootout. Watch David Montgomery. He has struggled at times this year because of his offensive line, but this is a kid who makes a lot of yards on his own, will bounce off tackles, makes people miss. And to me, the big upset in this game, and, and we'll mention it in the next hour, is the fact that Matt Campbell is still at Iowa State and Mike Norvell is still at Memphis. These were two coaches, two young coaches, who were highly coveted by athletic directors. They're staying put, and those are big wins for those programs. Yeah, and I expect Iowa State to make some noise in the Big 12. I mean, last year they were on the cusp. They, they lost four ball games against the better teams in the Big 12 by 25 points per game, 7-5 this year, and knocked off Baker Mayfield and Oklahoma yeah. In Norman, battle-tested team will break this game down in next hour. Turn our attention to another intriguing ball game. First game that kicks off today at 12 p.m. Louisville and Lamar Jackson going up against Miss State minus Nick Fitzgerald minus the head coach Dan Mullen. If if Lamar Jackson doesn't take this game over, I'd be shocked. Yeah. Louisville by 17 or more in this matchup. I agree. I mean, the, the the heartbeat, the pulse of Mississippi State was Dan Mullen and Nick Fitzgerald. Dan Mullen now at Florida. Nick Fitzgerald not healthy enough to go in this game. And I think this matters to Louisville. They took it on the chin last year in the bowl game against LSU. Lamar Jackson did not play well at the end of the season. I think he turns it around. He has one showcase opportunity for NFL scouts. It's a good Mississippi State defense, but I think Lamar Jackson is better. I, I like Louisville as well. Yeah, and Katon Thompson will get the start for Nick Fitzgerald in that ball game. Came on in the Egg Bowl. Played well, but now has a couple of weeks of preparation. We'll see how he plays it. The game is played in Jacksonville. Lamar Jackson is from the state of Florida, so he should go out in style in this ball game. We mentioned it in the last segment the Fiesta Bowl. I'm all over the Huskies. Rich is bucking me with the Nittany Lions. Saquon Barkley. James Franklin. You think it's high scoring? I do. I think it's high scoring. I think it's a great football game. Great coaching matchup. I like Barkley against that Washington defense. You have me a little bit concerned at the line of scrimmage. Legitimately. Washington's D-line versus the Penn State offensive line. That's where this game could be won or lost. But I think the Penn State defense is underrated. I'm going to take Barkley. I think Barkley's the hero in a Penn State victory after they lost that tough Rose Bowl last year. Yeah, I heard that the, uh, Washington has traveled very well for this ball game. I heard the whole stadium around the stadium is all purple, wow. so we'll see. I mean, back-to-back uh, West Coast uh, trips for Penn State. I mean, last year they played very well against USC, but that's the matchup as well. Speed killed them in the second half of that matchup against Sam Darnold. Does Jake Browning start fast in that ball game? Will make the difference if Washington does pick up the victory. When we come back, we'll be talking about the other big games today and Monday. Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonella live in the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Studio 34. 